Hello, you're listening to the Sydney Writers Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name is Valerie Koo and you can find us online at sydneywriterscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips and valuable ideas on how to get published. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Penelope Green is a freelance journalist and author. She has published three travel memoirs recounting her time in Italy, When in Rome, Sea Naples and Die, and the latest, Girl by Sea. It's the story of her life in Procida, an idyllic island looking over the Bay of Naples, and how she became part of the community through a common love of food. She started her writing career as a cadet journalist with the Australian newspaper and now writes regularly for Australian Gourmet Traveller, Australian House and Garden, Madison, Marie Claire, The West Australian's Weekend Magazine and Scoop. She has written for Who Weekly and worked in the fashion industry as a publicist. In 2002, she packed her bags and headed to Italy, where she wrote for the International Herald Tribune, Marie Claire and Madison, writing on Italian current affairs, food and wine, before publishing her first book, When in Rome, which became the best-selling travel book in Australia for 2005. Thanks for joining us today, Penny. Thank you very much. So tell us, when did you decide you wanted to be a writer? Um, Look... I think I was always writing from a very early age. Um, I was a huge Enid Blyton fan and I had a, mm. a very um, big imagination. And um, But I, I can't really say that I set out to be a writer. I mean, I, was, I naturally um, sort of veered towards writing in that I became a journalist. Mm. Um, but I guess my writing career started um, a little bit by chance when I... Uh, went to Italy. So, um, yeah, I don't know whether it was a, a definitely a conscious decision or not. So do you prefer journalism or do you prefer the kind of writing that you do in your books? Look, I, I must say that I, I'm lucky to enjoy both. Um, I mean, as a journalist, you know, I really enjoy the whole investigative process and, and yeah, just the process of actually bringing together a story. Um but obviously, writing gives you a different freedom, um, and you get to elaborate on other things that might get cut out of a, a story, you know, in, in a newsroom, basically. So they're both, you know, as I said, two forms which I thoroughly enjoy, but which you know can be very different. So why did you decide decide to go to Italy in the first place, and did you go there with the intention that you were going to write about it? Um, look, I went to Italy, um, I was 28 at the time, um, basically seven years ago. I'd, um, I'd been working as a journalist for almost a decade and I, I just really felt like I needed a break. Um, and so it was a bit of a, a life change, really. I didn't have any, um, big plans to, um, to write a book by any means. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm an avid, um, note taker. Um, so I guess when I did find myself in the position where, I had been offered uh, the opportunity to write a book. I thankfully had a lot of notes, but I certainly didn't sort of intend to, to um, you know, to go there and write at home. Um, that said, uh, I think at the time it was really at the start of the whole um, wave of, of travel memoirs coming out. So mm. maybe it had something to do with timing as well. You know, I guess um, I realised um, after I was, you know, offered the chance to do it that there was a big market for it. So... 
tell us about the process of going from taking those notes and turning them into a book because mm-hmm. in the meantime like when did it you know dawn on you that um, it could turn into a book did someone put the idea in your head how tell us about the whole process yeah sure look I um, was actually very lucky in that um, I'd been asked to write a story um, for a, a magazine in Sydney just about um, you know what I'd done I um, changing countries when I didn't speak the language I didn't have any contact or home and so it really was you know starting afresh in every sense and I guess I wrote that story in a very, you know, self-deprecating manner and, you know, it was quite fun. And um, once that was published, I just found myself in a really unique position of being, um, you know, contacted by a couple of publishers asking me whether I could turn that into a book. So once I sort of knew that that was going to happen, I really had to go over, you know, all of my notes, all of my experiences um, up until that point. And I guess it would have been... Uh, my memory fades, but I would have uh, been living in Italy for two years at that stage. So, I mean, some things I had to sort of, you know, my, I'll be the first to admit that my memory isn't the best, um, but I had to sort of, I guess, think about all the things that had happened um, since I'd been in Italy. Some things I'd written a lot about, other things I hadn't. So I really had to sort of, um, you know, draw on memory, but also I had the the benefit of being still being in the country and being able to sort of almost retrace my steps. Mm. So that was also very helpful. Why did you pick Italy, especially as you say you <laughs> had no real connection to it? Well, I it's, I travelled there when I was young. I mean, the first time I, I went there was uh, when I was sixteen, and I'd probably backpacked there about three times up until the age of um, twenty five, and I just. You know, anyone who who loves Italy knows. Um, you know, I guess has that. That's just a uh, the instinct and and the love for the food and the you know the that sort of community feeling that is quite inimitable. Um, mm. Just many and you know, apart from the obvious culture and history, and I, I just had always fallen in love with um, the lifestyle. You know, the, the so-called uh, Dolce Vita as I'd, I'd seen it, and I, I was really the only place that I, I wanted to go and and um, I'd always wanted to learn a second language because, you know, didn't have one and so many Europeans speak about five languages and I thought, right, okay, I'm going to go. Um, and as I said, it really was a, a life change because I'd, I'd reached a point where I just felt a bit burnt out, um, you know, after, I guess, working straight from school, um, sort of throwing myself into journalism and working for 10 years and it was just time for a break. So. Mm. Italy was just had always been put on the back burner, and I suddenly sort of found myself in a position where, um, you know, I couldn't put it off anymore. And how did you <clears throat> fund La Dolce Vita for a couple of years? <laughs> well, I worked very hard, I should say. Um, I, I mean, I decided to have a career change, and at first I couldn't work as a journalist anyway because I couldn't speak the language. So I just decided simply to, you know, take all the pressure off myself and. Um, and uh, do whatever it took to to just get by, and, and you know, until I learnt the language, and then I'd see where you know what sort of course I wanted to take. So I worked um, variously as a receptionist in a hotel, I waitressed, I worked in a wine bar, and to be honest, I was so busy. I mean, I probably at one point had three different you know part-time jobs, but I was pretty happy um, because I was just you know at every point learning different things about. The, the new country I'd adopted, so it was all very challenging. 
Yeah. And did you find the transition easy or difficult when you went from, you know, journalism to writing much, much longer memoir style pieces? What was that like? Uh, yeah, look, it was a, an unusual experience. And I guess um, I think that being a journalist helped in the sense that, um, you know, as far as you're so used to having to write to to size, you know, to, to trim down your copy to make everything fit into 30 centimetres, 35 centimetres or whatever, you know, on the on the news page. And so mm. that sort of helped um, in some senses to, you know, in, in the editing process. But that said, obviously, um, you can write so much more when you're, you know, writing a book. So it was actually a really nice luxury to have to be able to elaborate, but still within reason, um, you know, you can't, You've got to edit, obviously, whatever happens. So, you know, there's a fine balance between that. And, I mean, that's also what, you know, a good editor is for. And um, I was fortunate to work with some fantastic ones who, you know, basically helped me when I was struggling to, to cut something down or explain why it should be cut or, you know. So there was very much a big collaborative process um, in that editing process as well. And did you ever get that feeling, you know, because with journalism, it's extremely objective, it's very third party, it's very independent, you're not, you're not in it as the writer, yeah. but did, so did you ever get that feeling of, God, who's going to be interested in what I had for breakfast? Or... Oh, yeah, 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 and I tried not to write about what I had for breakfast, <laughs> although there is a lot of, um, you know, information about coffee and food and all those things that people who are foodies love. Yeah, I mean, you do have those moments of absolute... Um, you know, almost paranoia, just thinking, mm. who cares? But then, but then, as soon as you know, I'd speak to somebody um, at home, um, telling them about something which I'd probably become used to. They'd be, oh gosh, how fantastic! You know, don't leave, kind of thing. You're not missing out anything here. So, you know, it's just basically um, there's always that element of interest for for a foreign lifestyle. So, mm. yeah. Did you plan to write a three book memoir? No, I actually, um, I certainly didn't have any deal to do that um, mm-hmm. from the start. It was it was a very organic process after basically writing When in Rome. Um, I found myself moving to Naples, which is obviously a, a pretty amazing uh, city. It's very complex with the Camorra there, which is the local mafia. And, it, you know, that's probably the most journalistic of the three books because I just sort of set about interviewing everyone I could in the city, the the locals themselves, to sort of throw in hopefully a new light on, on you know, on the city itself. So mm-hmm. that sort of, um, you know, came just because I was so fascinated by the machinations of um, of Naples. And um, and then Prosciutto, the third book, Girl by Sea, was very much, um, you know, writing about a, an island lifestyle and a very particular community and bringing in... Um, a very heavy food slant into that so it was very different again but I just always found Italy itself and every part of it very inspiring so that I was always sort of thinking about mm, you know what has this got the bones of a book sort of thing. Mm. So tell us more about Girl by Sea and how that came about because there's much more of a you know foodie element to it. Yep um, look it was it was very much by chance that um, I found myself there I actually um met my partner uh, in Naples and we were looking to, to rent a house and couldn't find anything we really liked that much in Naples and he had suggested Prosciutto and um, I hadn't been there and we went out there and on the boat, it's basically an hour from, from Naples and 
just fell in love with an apartment there and it was just really the challenge of, you know, I've never lived on a small island before and, and um, it was a total, um, a new set of circumstances in that um, it's a very particular community, again, with a different dialect. I mean, I hadn't even learnt the Neapolitan dialect and, and my partner, who's Neapolitan, couldn't even understand all of the, the island dialect, if that sort of makes it any clearer of mm. the language issues again. Um, and um, it was just fitting into, you know, the community's, um, it's an economy uh, based on the sea. So all of the men are generally sailors and fishermen and the women, um, not all of them, but a good, um, a lot of them uh, stay at home and, and raise children in a very domestic role. And um, initially it was seemed a little bit hard to sort of, you know, break into what was a very small community. Everyone knows everyone. and. Mm. Um, you know, the the roles in society are very different to what I'm accustomed to. But once we basically um, did become a part of the community, it was very hard to leave. Um, you know, it's a place where you can't walk out the door without being sort of stopped by somebody who wants to give you a lift down to the port mm. or offer you a coffee or, you know, it's just um, that community that is quite beautiful. Um, that said, you know, obviously it sounds very idyllic being on an island, and, and it was, but it, it does bring about its own set of, um, you know, difficulties where basically there's, you're very isolated. Mm. I mean, we were cut off often from the mainland when during rough seas, and, and for all of the, the, the fact that I love that community, it could drive you nuts because you really couldn't mm. do anything without anyone knowing, you know. <laughs> it was very incestuous at times. Mm. So, um so all of this basically I found pretty interesting and um, and also the food aspect. I mean, you know, Italians are obviously famous for their cuisine, but um, I guess when you're living in in, um, in a small community, you notice that even more when you sort of, you have a lot to do with, and we'd walk down to do our grocery shopping and the, we'd be told, you know, by a, a local um, a fruiteria that, you know, this was seasonal and how we should cook it. And mm. it was all just very much, um, it was just something that I'd, thought adding food into the writing was um, obvious to me mm. um, and also because I guess when I read books and there's reference to a gorgeous dish or something I think oh how would you make that and then mm-hmm. I get online and look for it and there are 5,000 versions and then I kind of lose <laughs> you know I give up yes. so I just thought I'd sort of include that as well so again it's a very different um, flavour if you like from the other books. So did you start writing Girl by Sea when you were there or after you left? Um, no, when I was still there, not initially because I didn't sort of go there with the intention mm. of writing a book, but sort of after three months I was already thinking, oh, you know, there's so much here that is, I find fascinating. And so from there it was very much, um, you know, I, I probably wrote um, more of this book um, basically as I, as I was going along. Mm. Um, and that was probably the same with um, Naples as well. Rome was the only one where I really did have that time lapse of about two years where I had to sort of go back and think about, you know, what I wanted to write. So you're now living in Perth. Yep. Why did you come back to Australia? Um, Look, I think I've spoken to a lot of foreigners who've lived overseas and they sort of speak about the seven-year itch, as Mm. it were. I sort of got to the point where I'd... um, I really was missing my family quite a bit. And, um, I mean, you know, you have obviously um, nostalgia when you're away and homesickness, but I'd sort of been back home and all of a sudden I just said, oh, you know, I wouldn't really mind staying. Mm. Um, That said, I really do miss Italy now and you take everything for granted and I really miss in particular Prosciutto where we were living the last time. So 
I guess I feel, you know, lucky to to feel like I do really have a foot in each mm. country and um, my partner being Italian means that, you know, we'll go back as often as we can. Mm. So, um, But it was just time to, you know, Italy is so based on all the, you know, I learned a lot about the values of family when I was living there, even more so than than I'd imagined and, and I suddenly felt a bit hypocritical to be so far away from my own. So right. it was just time to come home. Yeah. So when you actually sat down to do the actual writing, did you have some kind of writing routine or a daily ritual or, you know, take um, us through your typical writing day? No, I think when um, I was writing Rome, it was very much I was panicked. I thought I was just so excited and so <laughs> revved up that I almost couldn't sleep for the excitement of it all and I'd be writing at all crazy hours. Um when I was writing Naples, it was very different because um, I was working as a journalist uh, for an Italian news agency, and I so I had a full-time job. So I was literally rushing from my job, you know, leaving work in the afternoon, and then maybe travelling out into, you know, mafia heartland to do an interview with somebody um, for the book. So it was very much I I had to be very disciplined to fit in time to do interviews and do all the research um, for what I was writing. So. But strangely, I mean, it's, you know, the busier I am, the more I seem to get done. Mm. Um, so that sort of worked very well. On Prussia, I, I had a little bit more time at the end to finish the book because um, my I'd worked for this Italian news agency for three years and then they shifted the um, the office to Rome. So I found myself out of a job right at the end. Mm. And But I actually needed the time to, um, to basically finish the draft, the first draft of the book. So... Mm. It was very much, um, I had the luxury of time to sort of go and, you know, seek out people and explore different angles of, of um, issues that I wanted to talk about and then, you know, get home. And I find when I do have more time on my hands that I that I am, um, you know, I find it much harder to get um, motivated to do things. <laughs> so um, that was even probably harder finishing that off just because I, I'd keep on thinking, oh, well, you know, got tomorrow. I, I do, really do need a gun to my head sometimes to, <laughs> you know, to sit down and do it. So you've worked as a journalist in both Italy and Australia. Are they? Is it very similar, or what are the key differences between working as a journalist there and here? Um, I don't think the fundamentals change really. Um, although, you know, obviously um, with the Italian Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi <laughs> owning so much of the media, I guess some media there um, obviously would would talk about you know conflicts of interest and the difficulty of of um you know freedom of, of press if you like i was working for an agency which was very much um an agency called answer which is basically like reuters in italy it's the biggest um news agency there and i was actually um editing information on all stories i should say coming from um correspondence in the mediterranean mm-hmm. um as well as sort of translating so it was very much a you know a vibrant newsroom and um I mean, I've, I felt very much like I was at home anyway in a, you know, a, a newspaper newsroom. There, there aren't many differences. But um, for me, obviously, it was um, a, you know, slightly harder to, to follow issues because of the, um, the language issue, even though I, you know, I obviously I'm fluent in Italian. But mm. I think that Italian journalists, there's, there's a lot of presumed knowledge um, in writing a story. For example, if there's a, you know, a crime story, um, Apart from the first day or two where all of the facts are reported, after about a week, that's basically not the case. Whereas I guess I think here we tend to 
give a little bit of background, even if it's a couple of lines for those who right. haven't read, but there it's sort of assumed that everyone reads the papers every day and mm. knows every case intimately. So that Yeah, it was interesting and I, I don't agree with it, mm. I should say. But um, yeah, so no, it was a very, um, you know, slight differences, as I said, on both sides, but the fundamentals of, um, you know, the guts of journalism are there, obviously. Mm. So um, the travel memoir genre has yep. been very, very successful. What do you think is the appeal of travel memoirs for readers? Um, look, I just honestly think pure escapism, um, particularly for those who, who you know, aren't fortunate enough to be able to take off when they like, They, you know, whether they're people who are elderly or, you know, people with kids or just there's some reason or financial, you know, there's so many reasons that prevent people from going. And so somebody wants to go to Turkey and sees, you know, a new book out about somebody who's been there, done that. I mean, why wouldn't you want to, as a mm. stock gap, sort of, you know, pick that up? So I really do think, um, as well as, you know, apart from that, just genuine curiosity to, to read about, you know, a new country that maybe you hope to visit one day, really a combination. I don't think it's um, rocket science. <laughs> and so are you planning on writing more travel books? What's next for you? Um, I don't – look, I, I'm actually trying to um, – at the moment I've got a couple of um, ideas for fiction and um, I'm just really battling to kind of, um, you know, put those down basically, and, and work out whether I can write fiction. That's the new challenge. I'd be really mm. thrilled if I could. I mean, I certainly um, know what I like and don't like, and so now I'm just in that process of, um, of yeah, trying to nut something out. And, um, yeah, so... That's exciting. <laughs> yeah, it is exciting. It's also... Fr- I mean, it's, you know, it's um, it's difficult, um, yeah. I think, to sort of switch into a, another genre, but I'm enjoying it as well. Mm. Um, I'm just not sure how successful I'm going to be or, you know, there's no, I've got no time, um, no deadline sort of hanging over me. So, but I'm trying to sort of self-enforce one because otherwise (laughs) I may not put anything onto the screen. And and finally, what's your advice to people who are listening to this podcast and who are aspiring writers and would like to have their book published one day? Um, Look, I just think um, that like anything, you really have to persist. I know that sounds obvious, but um, you know, I'm the first to procrastinate, as I said earlier, but I think that if you can really discipline yourself um, to sit down and, and um, you know, write the idea that you have, that it's obviously really important, even if you're only sneaking in half an hour, a day, but as long as you can sort of see things take shape. And I guess the other thing I would say is to not be afraid to bounce ideas off people because, um, you know, you may not be seeing something very obvious and... Um, and just sort of, you know, talking to somebody who obviously you trust and you you respect their opinion, you know, I think it can really help. I mean, only yesterday I was sort of struggling with an idea and I talked to my partner about it. He's an avid reader and he said, oh, yeah, but why don't, you know, why don't you sort of think about it from this angle and suddenly sort of, you know, one piece fell into shape for me. So I think that you shouldn't be so, um, you know, hell-bent on it being your project and sort of, you know, thinking that you can work everything out because obviously, you know, a little bit of feedback can work, you know, wonders at the right time. So, yeah. Great advice. And on that note, thank you very much for your time today, Penny. Absolute pleasure. 
You've been listening to the Sydney Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online, including details about our courses, seminars and online learning, as well as information on our regular competitions where you can win books, movie tickets and literary experiences at www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au or visit me on my personal website, www.valeriekoo.com. That's Valerie Koo, K-H-O-O dot com. Thank you for listening.